This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Two portions of scripture, Exodus chapter 25 and Leviticus chapter 24. Exodus 25, Leviticus 24. There's just one other portion of scripture which I'll read after this. Uh, but if you've got uh, your finger in there, just hold it. So Exodus 25, and uh, we're going to be reading from verse 23. And you shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around. And you shall make for it a frame of a handbreadth all around. And you shall make a gold molding for the frame all around. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that are at its four legs. The rings shall be close to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, that the table may be carried with them. And you shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, its bowls for pouring. And you shall make them of pure gold. And you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. Then Leviticus 24 5 to 9. And you shall take fine flour and bake 12 cakes with it, or 12 loaves. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. And you shall set them in two rows, six in a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial. <coughs> an offering made by fire to the Lord every Sabbath. He shall set an order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place. For it is most holy to him from the offerings of the Lord made by fire, by a perpetual statute. And then I just want to read just a few verses from Hebrews 9. Verse 1, then indeed even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold in which were the golden pot that had the manna and Aaron's rod that bought it and the tables of the, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. And then down verse 11. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Now, I know that those two uh, readings in Exodus and Leviticus, uh, I know that they don't look too exciting. 
are too inviting uh, to most people and to most Christians. If it wasn't for the fact that the New Testament writer to the Hebrews mentions them, if it wasn't for the fact that he mentions them, then you may be mistakenly thinking, well, that was only an old Hebrew construction and system of worship, but it says nothing to us today. If you think this says nothing to us today, then you are very much mistaken. There are literally dozens and dozens of chapters in Exodus and Leviticus that speak of this tent in the wilderness. And it goes into the most meticulous detail about everything about it. And the reason why that is, is because the Holy Spirit who authors the Bible, he gives a very large mention to all of these things, chapter after chapter after chapter. And the reason for it is, wonder of all wonders, is because it all speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single part of it, without exception, all speaks of Christ. All of it, each fitting, each fixture, each metal, each material, every single piece of furniture that is used, all of it speaks to us today of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, even the very way that the pieces of furniture are laid out pre-shadows Calvary. If you can imagine if you were looking down on the tabernacle in the wilderness, if you're looking down on it from above, it would be a rectangular shape and it would be like a tent without a roof. It would just speak the sides. But whenever you go in and you get to where the holy place and the most holy place is, which is a rectangular shape, then it would be completely covered. But as you would go in, there would be the brazen altar. And then just directly in front of that, ahead, would be the laver. And then as you would go into the holy place, on your left would be the seven-branch candlestick. And then on your right would be this table of showbread. And then straight ahead again would be the, uh, that golden altar of incense. And then on end to the holiest of holies, of course, straight ahead would be the Ark of the Covenant with the great gold mercy seat and the cherubims, the place where God's presence was, where the, the presence of God was, was there. Now, if you were looking down on that, you would see that that is the shape of a cross. And so the Holy Spirit records all of these things to enlighten us, to encourage us, to show us more of Christ. There's so much in the Old Testament that speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ who was to come. And for us, looking back on it, then in some ways it's easier for us to see than those who were there who didn't look forward to Christ coming. And so, tonight I simply just want to focus on one item of furniture, the table of showbread, and particularly the bread that was upon it. Whenever we talk about the table of showbread, uh, sometimes it's called the bread of faces or the bread of presence. And that was why I gave the title of this message this morning, the bread of presence. That's other names for it. And there is an obvious connection 
uh, you could probably see right away, between the table of showbread and the communion table that we have uh, each and every Sunday morning. But let's look now at this table of showbread, the bread of presence, and see what of Christ that we can see in this as we look into it. First of all, the table itself, three feet long, two feet high, 18 inches wide. Not very big at all. But whenever we start to talk about measurements, we see in here a limited dimension. The dimensions were limited. And remember, all of this is speaking of Christ. And Christ in his earthly body was limited. The dimension of his life on earth was limited. Paul says that he took the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of man. And he humbled himself and even died the very death of the cross. In his body, he was limited geographically. He could only be in one place at one time. In fact, in all of his life on earth, he never went any further than 200 miles. So he was very limited. Think of the unlimited one in the glory who came and consciously, voluntarily, deliberately limited himself to that little place on earth. Then in his body, he was limited physically. He grew tired. He got weary. He was hungry. He wept. And so he was limited physically in his body. After his resurrection, particularly his disciples who were with him for just over three years, and every single day they heard his voice and they could touch him. They could handle him. John writes about that. We handled him, the very word of life itself. But whenever he was resurrected and he began to tell them that he was leaving them, they didn't like that because they were so used to his physical presence. But Jesus knew that these were the men that were going to go out and evangelize the world. And he, in his physical form, could not physically be with each and every one of them at any given time. He couldn't. He could only be at one at one time. And so he told them, when I go, the Holy Spirit will come, and it is to your advantage that I go, because he will not just be with you, he will be in you. So everywhere you go, God the Holy Spirit, one just like me, he says, he will be in you, so you will not be limited. It took them a while to understand that. They just couldn't see that when he said it. But it was true. And it was true for us as well. And so the table had limitations. But it was made of acacia wood, which is a very durable wood. Acacia wood that was covered in gold. And the wood speaks of his humanity and the gold speaks of his deity. And the coalescence, the coming together of his humanity and his deity in one is absolutely unique. Who can understand that? None of us. It's a mystery, but it's real and it happened. And he still maintains that coalescence of a human body and him 
as deity and divinity, even in heaven today. And so that's one of the things that makes not only Christ unique, but Christianity unique. No other religious leader could ever claim that. Uh, one preacher many years ago said that there was times that Jesus was so like man, it was as though he wasn't God, and there was times he was so like God, it was as though he weren't man, because he was the God-man. The same one who felt tired and weak and weary and hungry was the same one who could still the storm and walk upon the sea. And so, this table, if you can imagine it, had the New King James says moldings, the, the authorized version says crowns. This raised section all the way around the rim of the table. And then at a hand's breadth between the outer one, there was the inner one, again, all the way around. And so these two crowns, inside there were kept all the utensils, the little dishes, the pots, the pans, the spoons for putting on, the sprinkling on the frankincense and so forth, all the, the accoutrements that they needed to officiate at that table. And these two crowns, speak of the two crownings of Jesus. When Jesus was on earth, humanity crowned him and they crowned him with thorns, didn't they? They crowned him with thorns. But when he went to the glory, he was crowned king of kings and lord of lords. <laughs> Heaven crowned him, a greater crown. The old hymn says, crown him with many crowns, <laughs> the lamb upon the throne. The head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. We sing that at Easter time. After Adam and Eve fell in the garden, the earth was cursed. And as a result of that cursed earth, weeds, briars, thorns rose up and man had to work by the sweat of his brow. And isn't it interesting that that sign of the curse was the very thing that man placed upon our Lord Jesus Christ. He took the curse for us. Cursed is every man that hangeth on a tree, the Bible says. And so you can see how these things speak of our Lord Jesus Christ. The four rings and the two poles, they were simply for the priests to carry whenever they would go through the wilderness. This representation of Christ, although they didn't know what that was, this representation of Christ went with them everywhere they went. In all of their journeys, in all of their wilderness experience, this table of showbread had to accompany them and it had to be carried on the shoulders of the priests. The church, all of us as believers tonight, we are strangers and pilgrims in this earth. And we're journeying towards the celestial city, the city of God. And as we journey, we carry with us Christ himself. The bread speaks of Christ. We carry with us Christ himself. And yet, conversely, it is him who carries us as we go through this journey of life. The bread... 
Let me share with you a little bit about the bread. But first of all, let me just go back a little bit to uh, talk about those pieces of furniture. The brazen altar as the priest would come in to the tabernacle, the open area. Uh, the first piece of furniture, if you could use that term, was the brazen altar. And this is the place where the animals were slain and their blood was shed. And this very obviously speaks of us of Calvary, doesn't it? Of Christ being our Redeemer, the one who shed his blood to save you and me. And then as you go on a little bit, you have this brazen laver. Uh, they reckon the laver was made of, of, of bronze or copper from the, from the woman's mirrors that they, that they had polished up that they brought out of Egypt. All this stuff came out of Egypt with them whenever they, whenever they escaped from Egypt when God led them through the Red Sea. And this laver was the place where the priests, before they could go in and officiate in the holy place, they had to wash their hands and wash their feet and keep themselves clean. This speaks of the, the place of sanctification. And Christ is our sanctifier <coughs> as well as our Savior. And then as you go a little bit further and you go into the holy place, then this is through the first curtain which was made of fine twined linen and it was embroidered and it would be beautiful. And as they went in there, as I said a moment ago, then on your left-hand side would be that beautiful golden seven-branch candlestick that was burning perpetually with oil continually, and it would light up the whole room. So this is Jesus Christ as the light of the world. And then over here is the table of showbread with the 12 loaves, very obviously speaking of Christ as the very bread of life, the living bread that came from heaven. And then as you go forward and you see the golden altar of incense, this is where they put the incense and it would rise up and smoke as prayers and intercession and praise unto God. That's what that represented. Well, Christ is our intercessor. Right now, he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and interceding for me. And so that's a representation of Christ as the, our great high priest interceding for us. And then beyond that, there is the, the veil into the holiest of holies. And that veil was also beautiful, and it was also embroidered wonderfully well too with great cherubims embroidered on it. And as the priest, only the high priest, and only once a year could walk into there, and as he had certain things he had to do before the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat, with that golden lid on top of it, which is the mercy seat. The Apostle John, in one of his letters, talks about Christ being the propitiation for our sins. And that word propitiation literally means mercy seat. So, so the mercy seat represents Christ as the merciful one, the one who gives us mercy, the place where we can come to in time of need. But let me just focus on the table of showbread. In chapter 6, Jesus talks about himself being the bread of heaven. He talks about the bread of God, the bread of life, living bread. Bread is an absolute necessity. We cannot live without something to eat. And he is the living bread that came down 
from heaven. Why was it called the bread of presence or the bread of faces? Because God was continually looking upon those loaves in that tabernacle. Those loaves that would remind him of two things would remind him of Israel was playing that in a moment, but would remind him of his dear son that was to come. And it was continually, this is what it says in Exodus 25, 30, it was to be before me continually. And Leviticus 24, 9, a perpetual statute. And so God would be continually looking and making sure it was done right and taken care of and officiate it properly. It was important to God. Hebrews 9.24, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. We have got an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's what John calls him. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, we have an advocate in heaven, one who pleads our cause, one who intercedes for us, Jesus Christ, the righteous. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24, it says, But he, speaking of Christ, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood an unchangeable priesthood and so this bread of faces isn't it wonderful that for the past 2,000 years we have one in heaven who sits at the right hand of the Father who continually watches us and sees us and prays for us and intercedes for us and is our advocate. When the enemy of your soul comes against you to accuse you wrongly, you can say, I've got an advocate in heaven. If you go to court, you need a good advocate. You need a good barrister, don't you? You need somebody to fight your cause. Well, Jesus sits in heaven fighting our cause against the enemy and those dark forces. I think it reminds me much of that beautiful benediction that Aaron prayed in Numbers 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's a beautiful, beautiful verse that, isn't it? And we often pray that at dedication service for little children, that the Lord would continually look upon them and here was a continual looking upon these loaves. The making of the bread. We read that in Leviticus 24. It had to be fine flour with no contaminants. And it had to be beaten and milled and ground until it was like powder, until it was very fine and very pure. And Christ at his trials and at his crucifixion was beaten, was smitten. And we know that over and over and over again, like 
dough would be pummeled. Christ was beaten and he was pummeled and he was ground, he was put through the grinder as it were. But all it did was reveal his purity and his innocence. There is to be no leaven in this bread. Leaven in the Bible speaks of sin. In the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were not allowed to have leaven in their homes. They had to put all leaven out. The Bible says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Jesus said to the disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Be careful of their doctrines. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Pilate's wife have nothing to do with this just man. Thief on the cross, this man has done nothing amiss. The centurion, the executing centurion said, surely this man was the son of God. Judas, who betrayed him, said, behold, I have betrayed innocent blood. He says, I've sinned, I've betrayed innocent blood. In Hebrews 7, 26, for we have such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. This is the fine flour. The flour had to be baked in an oven. You can't eat flour by itself. Something has to be done with flour to make it beneficial to us. It's got to be baked. It's got to be baked in an oven. Christ's exemplary life, his perfect life, wonderful as it was, was not enough to save us. If it had been, he didn't need to go to the cross. But he had to go to that oven. He had to go to that fire of Calvary in order to be the bread of life. You know, very often when a loaf is being baked, it's kneaded, it's shaped, goes into the oven, and it's pierced. I don't know if you ever had it in your hand, actually, but have you ever had matzo bread in your hand that the Jews used during the Feast of Passover? Matzo bread has no leaven, obviously, but it's pierced. Isn't it amazing that Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 speaks of Christ wounded and pierced for us. And isn't it amazing that in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, they, they can't see that. They can't see Jesus in that. Psalm 22 is, is, a, is a great messianic psalm. <laughs> psalm 22 talks about the cross. And, and several things that happened to Jesus on that day is, is written, foretold in Psalm 22. Psalm 23 is the, is the crook, the shepherd, the crook. 
Psalm 24 is the crown. Who is this king of glory? Lift up you gates, let him in. And yet, in spite of all of that, because of the veil that's on their eyes, they just can't see that. It's as plain as the nose in our faces, isn't it? We can see it. Of course, we didn't always see that until we became believers. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit shows you these things and it becomes very, very plain. That's exactly who it was speaking about. And then there was frankincense that was sprinkled all over it, all over the bread. Some said it was set in fire, but at least it was sprinkled on it. And frankincense is very aromatic. It's a beautiful aroma from frankincense. And this speaks of the fragrance of Christ. Everywhere he went, there was a fragrance. You know, sometimes whenever Sally and I, sometimes we go to, what's that place, Debenhams in Rushmere. You know, and she'll go downstairs and I'll go upstairs. Because never the twain meet no shopping centers. Our habits are very different. But to get upstairs, as you know, you've got to go through all that perfume end. Ah, and you get through there and the woman's wafting past you. They're all trying the samples. Have an odd wee squirt at the aftershave myself if, if I want a wee go. And sometimes somebody just walks right past you and, and, and you can smell their perfume or their aftershave. There's a fragrance that follows them. And there's a fragrance that follows Christ. Everywhere he went, there was an attractive aroma of fragrance that people just wanted to be around. And as believers, that should be us too. Can't say that about all believers. But it should be. Bread speaks of fellowship, doesn't it? I mentioned John chapter 6 a moment ago. Let me just turn to this. Bread speaks of fellowship. Particularly in the Middle East, uh, among the Israelis, among the Arabs. Uh, people want to share their food with you. You Filipinos down there, you know what I'm talking about. Sharing food is a big, big part of your culture, isn't it? Big part of their culture. Every time they come together, they have to share food. It's not that they just like eating, but it's part of the culture. They grew up with that, sharing food together. European families love to sit at the dinner table and share together. I don't know whether we do that as much now as we used to when we were, whenever we were younger growing up when you didn't have TV and anything like that there. You all sat around the big table and ate. So food, this bread speaks of fellowship. And Jesus taught much about this fellowship and this eating of bread. And in verse 41... Then the Jews complained about him because he said, I am the bread which comes down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written by the prophets, they shall be taught by God. Therefore everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he is from God. 
He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me is everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, that I, anyone that eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give him is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves and how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Hmm. These things he said... And the synagogues he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? If you think I'm talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood literally, what are you going to do when I go? That's what he's saying. Does this offend you? What if you should see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they're life. <coughs> see, that's what he was talking about. Fellowshipping with him. Dining with him. Revelation 3.20. The church of Laodicea. Jesus standing outside. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Sadly, they didn't open the door. And so there's an open invitation to every one of us every single day of our lives to fellowship with him, to dine with him and he with us. This is what this bread of fellowship is speaking about. Only, only the priests could eat the showbread. And they could only eat it in a holy place. Those who don't know Christ can't fellowship with him, can't dine with him. Only when they open the door of their heart and let him in. Only then can they fellowship. The showbread was changed every Sabbath day. Every seventh day, fresh bread had to be laid out. And we need fresh fellowship. And particularly on the Lord's Day. Particularly on the Lord's Day when the body corporately comes together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why I continually, continually say to you, unless you, it's impossible for you, be in the house of God on the Lord's day. 
the fellowship with him and the fellowship with his body, which is us. Now let me quickly, we're drawn to a close here, let me quickly give you a double meaning to this. Notice the two loaves, six loaves, 12 in all. In the context of the Old Testament, it obviously speaks of Israel and the 12 tribes. One loaf for each tribe represented. And God is continually, continually looking upon them. Right now, most of the nations in the world are against Israel. The United Nations, the only thing that unites them is against Israel. Do you know that they have said many times that Israel is the worst human rights offender in the whole world. Can you imagine that? Worse than China, worse than Russia, worse than all those Muslim nations that will flog a woman in public view for leaving the house without her husband. That will flog a child for leaving the house unaccompanied. And that's not even taken into account. That will execute, that will hang, that will decapitate in the public square for all to see while everybody gets on their smartphone. And yet Israel is cast out as the worst human rights offender in the whole world. And it's the only democracy in all of the Middle East where Arabs can live and have full rights as every Israeli. So don't believe all of that guff that you hear being broadcast. Here's what it says in Psalm 121, verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel neither slumbers or sleeps. God is watching over that nation. And every nation that comes against it will have God to deal with. Because it's the apple of God's eye as far as nations are concerned. The high priest's garments, he had that ephod. And there was two straps over the shoulders to hold it. And there was two great onyx stones with the names of the tribes of Israel, six in one, six in the other, engraved. Then... On the ephod, there was a breastplate of 12 precious stones, each one different, each one with the name of Israel's tribes on it. So what's that saying? He carries them on his shoulder. They're close to his heart. And Christ, who's our great high priest, carries us on his shoulder, and we're close to his heart. Isaiah 49:16, see, I have engraven you in the palms of my hands. Metaphorically speaking. And metaphorically speaking, we're engraven in the palms of Christ's hands. Those wounded, pierced hands. We're almost finished. Whenever the table of showbread was being carried through the wilderness. The loaves were still upon it. But they couldn't fall off 
because of those crowns that kept them in. And God is able to keep us from falling. Jude 24, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the Father's throne. <laughs> Sometimes do you feel you're a bit shaky, a bit wobbly? He can keep you. He can keep you. He can keep you from falling. The eternal God is a refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Fear not, Isaiah said, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my fellowship. And just one last thing in closing. Whenever they traveled through the wilderness carrying the table of showbread, it was covered over. Hmm. First of all, there was a blue covering, the heavenly color. The one who speaks is the one who came down from heaven. Then there's a scarlet covering. The one who came down from heaven and died that bloody death on the cross for you and for me. And then finally, it was covered with badger skins. Some say, versions say seal skins. Reminding us of his humanity. What a savior. What a Lord. What he's done for us. That's just one piece of furniture. There's six of them. You can talk about the, the outside, the, the materials of the tent, the poles, the sockets, everything. Everything in minutest detail is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit of God wants us to remember and to focus and to think. And sometimes when you're reading through your Bible and you come to Leviticus and you come to all of that and you say, oh dear, how am I going to get through this? You forget who this is talking about. It's not just a tent. This is showing us Christ. And maybe ways we never think much about. But the Holy Spirit wants to open our eyes and let us see him as the Lord of Lords. Amen? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you truly are a wonder. There is no one like you in heaven or on earth. We thank you that you came to us and you went to that old rugged cross and you laid down your life for me, even me. Jesus, you died for me. And so we stop and we give you thanks. Lord, we do not understand why. We just thank you for doing it. So Lord, open our eyes as we read your word. Give us glimpses of your glory. Help us to remember Jesus in all of his facets and his life on earth and his ministry even today at the right hand of the Father. So we give you thanks tonight. We glorify your Son 
Father, we lift them up tonight. Let them be glorified in our midst and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.